I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Link Podcast. Samsung is rumored to be holding another Samsung Galaxy Unpacked event in August. Woo! With a bevy of announcements scheduled from new phones to earphones to smartwatches, PocketLint's Brito Boyle has been following all the gossip so far and is here to tell us more. Meanwhile, I recently caught up with BBC journalist Rory Ketland-Jones about his new book that covers the last decade in tech, from the utopian days of big launches like the Apple iPhone to a more dystopian tech world with concerns over how we navigate the use of social media in the future. And PocketLint's Rick Henderson has been playing the latest Nintendo Switch title, Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD. That's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? To find out whether you should play it as well. Stay tuned to find out more. But first, back to you, Britt. Tell us all the gossip. Come on, give us the juice. <laughs> well, there's loads, actually. They are. It looks like it's going to be a very packed, unpacked. Um, so they seem like they're about to launch three phones. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> no holding back there. No. <laughs> um, Rumours say that there'll be the fold, the Z Fold 3, sorry, the Z Flip 3, and then possibly, but not um, as detailed in rumours, is the Samsung Galaxy S21 FE, the fan edition model. Okay. Um, and that's alongside two smartwatches. Wow. And some earbuds. Um, Excellent. Okay, so let's go back to the phones. So the fold and the flip, these are the bendable screens, aren't they? They're the, the foldable screen devices. And what yeah. do we know about the new things? Are they taking it on further? Or have they suddenly worked out how to get rid of that crease? It looks like it, yeah. Um, although we obviously won't know until we see it. But the fold Z, the Z Fold 3 um, looks like it will be a similar design, but have a slightly more refined camera housing on the back mm-hmm. and possibly an under panel camera or under display camera as okay. they're known as. That will be one of the first devices, first consumer device that will actually launch with it, I believe. And so when you say under display, this means the, there's no notch, the camera, no pinhole, there is just the camera is under the screen. Yeah, pretty much it, it will, um, it will just the display will be completely uninterrupted if they pull it off. Um, there's now, a bit of technical stuff to do with that. But. I was going to say, I'm sure people are sitting there listening, thinking, what if I've got something on the screen at the same time? Does that mean I'm going to get like the reverse Twitter on my face or something? <laughs> well, I yeah. I think previously it hasn't been done in the past because there is quite a lot of advancements that need to be made in order for it to work properly. But based on what the rumours are saying, Samsung has apparently achieved this. So we'll see how that performs in the future. Cool. Now, the, the foldable phones, they've been doing all right, haven't they? They're still quite niche and up there in kind of craziness. But do you think this is the time, this is the year that people will say, maybe I will get a foldable phone? They are niche, um, but they are really cool if you play with them. So I think it, they, they they definitely have potential. I guess it just depends on um, how much you're willing to spend on a smartphone that will essentially probably be replaced a year later with perhaps better 
technology they're, they're sort of new tech aren't they so mm. you have to be really into it i think to spend that kind of cash on them even though okay. i think they are great so that's that's the phones which is, yeah. sounds pretty exciting if you certainly if you're in an upgrade i presume that'll be 5g and and all the other stuff that yeah i think so yeah it kind of seems like it will have slightly more de- design enhancements so it will have a bigger screen on the front which i think a lot of people wanted when the second model came out so now let's talk about watches now yeah. this is exciting because these should be if i'm right in my memory and and, and serves me I, I should these should be the ones that are coming with the new the new wear os shouldn't they Yes, so they should be the first two smartwatches that will run the new platform that's been designed between Samsung and Google together. So the platform takes um, the best from Tizen OS and the best from Wear OS and puts it into a new platform, a unified platform. Cool. And what do we? What else do we know about apart from that bit? What else do we know about these watches? So there's um, the Watch Four, which is the replacement for the Watch Active 2. They seem to have dropped the active name this time around. Okay. And that will be the sportier model with um, seemingly some colourful straps and uh, a slightly sort of more sportier design, I suppose. And then there's the Watch 4 Classic, which is meant to be the replacement to the Watch 3 that came out back end of last year. So direct replacement for that. But that's, that's supposed to have the... Um, rotating bezel that everybody loves so much about these watches and i was going to say how excited are we about these because sometimes with you know with android watches even with apple watch it's kind of feels like oh it's just they're just releasing this because they can and it's just another year later and it's a slightly faster processor is there anything here so far again state you know happy to clarify this is all rumors none of this is real supposedly but good in good intuition would suggest that it is is there anything that's really kind of taken your eye so far and you thought "Mm, that might actually make a difference well, they are supposed to do non-invasive blood glucose monitoring. Whether or not that will appear this year is sort of questionable, I think. But if they do manage it, then it will be the first device that offers that and probably quite a big step in terms of that category. Um, but there's also Samsung. Samsung watches are typically actually very good, especially in terms of battery life. The, the Watch 3 has got a great battery life. So actually, I think on a, in terms of an Android level, it's probably going to be a great, it could be a great sort of smartwatch. It's also compatible with iOS too, if you don't want an Apple Watch. So, Oh, there we go. And then the final question I have is, when are we expecting this announcement to happen? And, and does that give us an indication of when we might actually be able to go out and buy these things? So the announcement is supposedly happening on the 11th of August, though Samsung have yet to confirm that officially. Um, and there have been rumours that the devices will be available from the 27th of August, so before the end of August, hopefully. Still to come, Rick gives us his verdict on The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD. It's now back for the Nintendo Switch um, in in somewhat a weird move because it's possibly not the game many wanted a remaster of for Nintendo Switch, but they've got one regardless. I've known Rory Ketlin-Jones, the BBC's tech correspondent, for several years, attending many of the same events that he's written about in his new book, Always On. The book starts its journey with the first iPhone in 2007, an event that we were both at, and slowly works its way through the following 14 years through the rise of big tech, giving us both a personal insight into covering the evolution of the industry, but also how it impacts our lives on a daily basis for better or worse. I started by asking him what made him want to write the book in the first place. 
Well, for, for the best of reasons, a publisher came to me and said, do you think you've got a book in you about two years ago? <laughs> Uh, I'd written one book 20 years ago about the dot-com bubble uh, in Britain, uh, and that had unfortunately been published on 9th of September 2001 and kind of disappeared for obvious reasons. Um, and I, I thought about it and just realised that I was made BBC technology correspondent, or I'd been sort of covering the area for quite a while, but officially in January 2007, uh, which was the dawn of the smartphone era, the era that we're in now, in, in my view, because it was when Steve Jobs unveiled the iPhone that, that month. And uh, I felt that there was a book in the events that had uh, ensued from that moment, the combination of smartphones and social media, uh, how they changed us for good and for bad. Now, what's fascinating is is uh, reading the book, and you were very kind to send me a copy before uh, before we did the interview, which I've, I've read, um, you and I have covered tech for a long time. We've known each other for a long time. And it was quite novel when I was reading it. I was like, I was in that room with you at the time. Or, or things like that. So, you know, how I obviously have my take of being at the iPhone launch in 2007. And you, you've just started that kind of, as you said, you just started in tech. How kind of monumental do you think it has been some 14 years later in, in defining the industry for the, for the last decade and a half? Well, the, being there was extraordinary. I, I had covered lots of tech events before, but none quite like that. And it was the first time that one experienced that sort of slightly hysterical atmosphere uh, of an Apple keynote, which uh, with, with, with Steve Jobs basically whipping up the crowd like a revivalist preacher with this sort of uh, this chant at one stage. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a, an internet device. It's a music player. Uh, it's a phone. Keep kept saying it. Are you getting it yet? Yes, it's one device. It's the iPhone. Um, and afterwards, uh, I mean, there was a lot of running around. You know, television is a mad old business, and it, getting the piece on air with the time difference was a huge sweat. Uh, but then when I came back to the UK, there were complaints that we plugged a product. You know, complaints to BBC's. <laughs> Uh, complaints program, uh, Newswatch, and I had to go on Newswatch and defend myself. And I used this line, which I thought at the time had gone over the top here. I said, well, just imagine that the BBC had been around, I'd been reporting at the time the Model T Ford had come out. Would that yeah. have been just a product launch? And I thought, oh, maybe that was going a bit. But I think events have proved that, that that was a good comparison. There were lots of smartphones, or there were smartphones before the iPhone, uh, you know, Nokia had been building them for a long time, but this was the first one that captured the public's imagination. It launched that whole industry, really. It transformed that industry. Within four years, Nokia was uh, ailing, BlackBerry was ailing, Windows was, uh, the Windows phone operating system was, you know, proving uh, a road to nowhere, and Apple was making huge amounts of money with the single most profitable product ever launched. So I think it was pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, I remember at the time that the, the the crowd going crazy. I remember there was like a standing ovation at the end of this pitch. And I was kind of a too busy trying to get the story out, but thinking there's just it, it is a sales we're British. pitch. We're British. Yeah, exactly. We're what are you doing? Like what, what on earth is going on? <laughs> just I'm still going to sit down and write this story. It's like, just why are you standing up? Stop clapping. It's annoying. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, OK, so, you know, what's 
that's obviously the start of the, the start of it. We've then moved through, you know, we saw as you say the rise and fall of of Nokia, the sort of rise of of, of Facebook, uh, and you interviewing Zuckerberg, and that was quite a famous interview at the time as well, wasn't it? Well, the, the funny thing was Zuckerberg came over to London uh, in two thousand and eight. He was twenty four. Uh, and he didn't look even 24, and he looked like the kind of kid who stares at his shoes even rather than yours. Um, not very, you know, not very smooth at all, but actually proved to be very determined in, in what he did. Because I asked him this sort of famous, ridiculous question. I said, listen, you were offered something like a billion dollars last year for this business. Why on earth didn't you take it? <laughs> uh, and he just said, well, what would I do? Basically, you know, would I sit by the pool with my money? Um, I mean, the context, of course, was that we were at a time when there was a massive global financial crisis. Uh, one very big social network, Bebo, had been sold by its creators, Michael and Zoshi Birch, for $750 million. Yeah. Um, and was then later sold on at various stages and ended up being bought back by them for $1 million. So, that that was the context. It looked like a good time to get out. And I, I, I've i just had a look back at the report I did that day, which said, oh, dear, you know, these things, they come, they come, they, 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 you know, Facebook may be hot right now. Who knows where it will be next year? But of course, um, Mark Zuckerberg was right. Hung on in there. Yeah, one of my friends one of my friends reminded me the other day of a quote I gave him a long time ago. And I suppose that's one of the challenges that we have as, as journalists of, of trying to trying to benchmark the future before it's happened. And, and the quote I gave him was that Tesla was the next pebble in that sense of, you know, the pebble <laughs> smartwatch and that it was, you know, it yeah. was going to do okay for a while. But then, you know, once the big players like VW and stuff would catch in, it, it would kind of... You'll be right in the long run. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, I mean, what's one of the things that you've, if you've had one thing that you've learned from writing the book, um, and we'll get to the second half and the third half, you know, the, the two acts that come for that. What what would you say? What's, what have you learned from it that kind of you perhaps didn't think you would going into this process? Well, it it, it is a weird process writing. I mean, for, for those of us who work in daily journalism, you, you don't do much sitting back and thinking about the long term. Uh, and I suppose uh, I learned, you know, to appreciate just how different the world had become during, you know, just the space of 2007 to 2012. Uh, I, I, I've got this sort of story arc where that period is we're, we're on the up. Mm. Things are improving. We're all optimistic about it. Um, uh, ending, I mean, I put the high point with, with the London Olympics opening ceremony where Tim Berners-Lee sent out that message, this is, this is for everyone, which seemed to encapsulate the kind of optimism of the times and the the, the positive ways in which uh, this technology was was, was changing things uh, and I, so I've looked back from this period where there's an enormous amount of gloom uh, about the impact of social media about um, kids spending too much on time on their phones about addiction to technology uh, and it, it, it's, it's good to be reminded that you know there was a huge amount of change and a lot of it was positive. Um, it, it, it gave people a, a more intimate connection with technology for the first time. I mean, one of the points I make is that when I was growing up, technology was made, made, was grand and exciting in terms of we were landing on the moon and, uh, and stuff like that. But it was not something that 
you'd ever thought that you would own. You never thought you would own a computer. Right. But at my school, I, I, I am very old, there was one <laughs> computer in the science block and only boys wearing white coats were allowed to approach it. Wow. Uh, um, so the idea that you could own an incredibly powerful computer um, and ha- give your views to the world uh, was completely outlandish. Um, now, obviously, we've begun to see the, the downside of that, but it's good to be reminded of the, the optimism that there was around it. I was going to say, the book, certainly the first half of the book, comes across as very optimistic, and it is that kind of feeling of a boon time where lots was changing. You know, you had the launch of the iPhone, you've got the social medias coming on. You know, there was, it was kind of the launch of 4G, you know, that kind of, it's all that that approach and that advancement of technology. And then we kind of start to use that technology and perhaps not the way that we've been intended to use that technology and kind of some of the pessimism, pessimistic views come through. And, you know, things like Tim Bernard-Lee had said, you know, it's not necessarily the way that he wanted the internet to be used. How, well, how dangerous do you think that is? And do you think we've still got a chance to take control back? It is, I mean... What's particularly scary is face is Facebook. I mean, he, I, I say at one point, you know, Tim Berners Lee sums up what what convinced him that things were going wrong in two words: Cambridge and Analytica. Um, the sheer the sheer power. I, I think we we didn't quite realise how much power we were putting in the hands of one person, Mark Zuckerberg. The sheer volume of people, you know, two and a half billion people whose views were being in some ways, manipulated by this giant force. And we, we saw it as a democratizing force, and it was in, in, in some ways. But what we didn't realize was the, the way that, you know, malign forces could capture that, uh, that influence and, and do bad things with it. And how do you, you know, we've looked back and seen that, you know, these are the things that have changed over the last 20 years that you and I have been covering tech. You know, what do you think the next 20 years are going to have in store yeah, where do you think it it's, will move from there it's interesting people get very quickly accustomed to amazing changes so you know the first time people saw the iphone they thought that was miraculous now every new phone is a very similar slab of black glass uh and it's kind of met uh voice Voice recognition, the, the the Amazon Echo and other voice control devices, again, they seem magical at first. And people now, oh, it didn't quite understand what I was saying. It's an idiot machine. Um, I, I kind of think the smartphone revolution is only 14 years old hmm. and its implications are still being felt. I feel, People keep saying, what's next? I, I, I keep saying more smartphones, using phones in different ways. And yes, AI, uh, we've seen a lot of, hype around our AI. We've seen a lot of impact in terms of, um, you know, spectacular demonstrations in deep mind beating go and, and so on. What we've yet to see uh, and may see in the next 10, 20 years is real kind of impact on our lives. Uh, look, look at driverless cars. I mean, that has been something that's been coming for a long time and is proving much more difficult than people said five, five years ago. So uh, I think there will be progress there. Um, and there'll be progress in new interfaces with, with, with the internet. I mean, we, we've been waiting, haven't we? You and I have tried on every sort of headset. Yep. I spent three months wearing Google Glass until I realized I looked a complete idiot. <laughs> um, 
but maybe that that is coming. Maybe I'll stick in a contact lens and it will be internet connected and project information in front of my eye. There are lots of things that are possible. Um, and somehow it's, it's quite difficult to tell which of them will actually be acceptable as well as being possible, will be attractive. So far, a lot of those new interfaces have, have been possible but not acceptable somehow. And do you think you're still very optimistic about what tech is allowing us to do and what it's allowed you to do over the last 20 years? Um, well, I, I retain enthusiasm for, for, for trying out new stuff. Uh, I think for the most part, it has been beneficial. Um, and that every, I mean, you only have to look back in history to see that every new communications technology in particular has been greeted with horror from the, te- from the novel to the telegraph to the telephone and to the classic thing with television, which was uh, what, you know, what one's parents' generation said, uh, why don't you turn off the telly and go and do something more useful instead? Um, smartphones are, are more useful than television was. They're far less passive. They're far more interactive. They have dangers, but uh, they are they can be tools of creativity, and I don't think we should forget that. The Legend of Zelda franchise is quite rightly revered by gamers young and old, but one Zelda title has polarised opinions like no other. Depending on who you ask, Skyward Sword is one of the best games in the series, or, well, maybe one of the worst. When released on the Nintendo Wii console over a decade ago, it was highly regarded by most games press at the time, but many players disagreed, lamenting its cumbersome controls, old art style, and mostly linear gameplay world. Now back as a remaster for the Switch, is it time to revisit this gaming classic? Pocalim Rick Henderson has been doing just that. So, Rick, how have you been getting on? Um, uh, mixed emotions. Um, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I remember the game for the Switch, and to be honest, it's one of the few Zeldas I never completed because... Um, I found the controls to begin with too cumbersome. It used uh, back on the Wii uh, console. It used a nun- the nunchuck and the Wii remote, but with that, I don't know if you remember, but the Motion Plus add-on that you had to plug into the bottom of mm. the Wii remote that was meant to make it more sensitive. Yeah, it still wasn't sensitive enough. It made the game very difficult. And it was, wasn't it? Play. You used that as the the swish for your sword and the the yeah. nunchuck for the shield and. That was it. That was exactly yeah. it. And and also movement was was a bit weird where you had to keep flicking to um to the camera angle to hit you from behind. But if you had an enemy behind you, it was hard to suddenly just turn around. Oh well, to be honest, it was quite a frustrating experience, which is why I gave up. Hmm. It's now back for the Nintendo Switch. Um in in somewhat a weird move because it's possibly not the game many wanted a remaster of for Nintendo Switch, <laughs> right. but they've got one regardless um and of course we also have motion controls for the switch so um so we can now play it again but this time with far more sensitive motion controls and does, and that, it, does that cause problems yes <laughs> it, no it's actually it, it's, it's much better to play there's an right. awful lot of quality of life improvements nintendo calls it as well including a free roaming camera so it's a lot easier to line up and it's a lot easier to use um however they've also added handheld controls obviously because the switch isn't just a motion gaming machine it is a handheld games console too and if you've got switch Lite, 
that's your only option. Yeah. So um, they've added these new controls on the thumbsticks. So essentially, you're you're swinging your sword still, but using the thumbsticks instead. And that's a little more hit and miss than the motion controls. Mm-hmm. Motion controls now work. But the handheld controls are a lot trickier to get used to. And that, for me, is where the game still has a barrier for playing. The What I've discovered with the remaster is I actually have discovered that inside the game, hidden behind the original controls, is actually an excellent game. Right. The story is brilliant. The puzzles are fantastic. There's innovative um, boss battles. And the game is cute and very lovable. However... I still have a slight problem with the controls. I n- not once do you have. I've been playing it now for hours and hours. Um, uh, there's four, forty plus hours worth of gameplay in in Skyward Sword, which is which is great. But having played it for hours and hours, I'm still don't quite find the controls that natural. I've been playing it across all the different consoles and. Um, the handheld controls, there are times you're in the middle of a really tricky boss battle and you completely forget how your shield works, for example. Hmm. So you end up looking down at your hands more than the more than the screen and you you die. So there is it's there's still that slight barrier to play. However, there is an excellent game hidden there if you if you're willing to overlook that. And so that's the problem, isn't it? If you're if you're over willing to look that, and so how do you is this one to avoid then? Because I think I get the feeling that probably with Switch, there's obviously a lot of remasters coming. A lot of people that are experiencing Switch for the first time won't have perhaps played Skyward Sword on the Wii. I mean, as you say, it was a long time ago. The gaming yeah, population decade. has the gaming population decade, has yeah. changed quite a lot in that time. So if you're new to the experience, is it still one that's worth having a look at? I mean, it, it may well be that I'm just useless at using the controls, and it may be that <laughs> someone else might find them a lot easier to use, and therefore it, it, they would actually be getting an excellent game. There is another caveat to that. I mean, going back to, back a little step, graphics look superb. They've done such an excellent job with the remaster. It, it looks beautiful now. Um, you consider this was a 480p standard definition game running at 30 frames per second. It's now remastered with brand new assets up to 1080p running at 60 frames per second. So it looks stunning. However, it is a remaster still. It's still an old game remastered, and yet they are asking full AAA game price for it. Now, in comparison, when Super Mario 3D All-Stars was released, you got three remastered games, including one of my favourite Wii games of all time, Mario Galaxy, hmm. which was completely remastered for the Switch as well, with brand new handheld controls. So it must have taken just as long to remaster that game. You were getting three games for the price of basically this one squat Skyward Skywood Sword. And so, so yeah, and so I mean, it does from that perspective. So who's gonna who's gonna get this? Just the diehard Zelda fans that can't wait diehard, long enough to diehard breath of the wind. Yeah, I think it'll be diehard Zelda Zelda fans who um, who have never uh, who don't remember it that well or don't have never played it before. Because the other thing is, is it's actually it, it, in terms of timeline, it serves as the prequel to the whole Zelda series. 
So it's actually worth playing just to find out that story, certainly. Um, but uh, And I can imagine an awful lot of people who love Breath of the Wild, who came into Zelda very late, actually going back to this and finding something to like as well. And there were quite a few control systems or quite a few um, gameplay mechanics that actually were then, then made themselves their way into Breath of the Wild, such as a stamina gauge for climbing. Um, but in terms of brand new people who've never played a Zelda game before, I don't think this is your entry point. And so in that case, if you have got a l- urge and a lust to play something on your Switch that's new and exciting, what would you recommend? Um, oh, <laughs> you've put me on the spot because there ah. hasn't been an awful lot of great releases. Um, I'm particularly enjoying Mario um, Golf uh, yeah, at the moment, well. the new one. <laughs> so um, so I'd probably, I'd probably recommend that over, over uh, Skyward Sword right now, unless you are a genuine Zelda fan who fancies a revisit. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, Pip Pip. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.